rather too well. Nuns with their breasts cut off, priests hung upside down and used as clappers to ring their own bells. Not that there hadn't been atrocities, but the guilt was more evenly distributed than the press liked to think. There were times, and tonight was one of them, when Pryor was made physically sick by the sight and sound and smell of civilians. He knew he had to get off the streets, away from the chattering crowds and the perfume that assaulted his nostrils whenever a woman walked past. Back in the park he began to relax. Perhaps it was his own need for colored his perceptions, but it seemed to him that the park on this spring evening was alive with desire. He sat on a bench and lit a cigarette. He needed sex, and he needed it badly. Tossing off was no use, because... because it was no use. Prostitutes were out because he didn't pay. He remembered telling Rivers who'd been his doctor at Craig Lockhart War Hospital, about the brothel in Amiens, how the men, the private soldiers, queued out onto the pavement and were allowed two minutes each. How long do officers get? Rivers asked. I don't know, Pryor had said. Longer than that. And then spitting the words, I don't pay. No doubt Rivers had thought it rather silly. A young man's ridiculous pride in his sexual prowess, his ability to get it free, but it was nothing to do with that. Pryor didn't pay because once, some years ago, he had been paid, and he knew exactly how the payer looks to the one he's paying. Got a light. As Pryor produced the matches, some unconsciously registered nervousness in the other man's voice made him look up. He'd been going to offer the box, but now he changed his mind, took out a match and struck it himself. The rasp and flare sounded very loud. He cupped his hands to shield the flame, and held it out as the other bent towards it. An officer's peaked cap, dark eyes, a thin moustache, defining a full mouth. Pry was sure he knew him, though he couldn't remember where he'd seen him before. When the cigarette was lit, he sat further along the bench, his left leg stretched out awkwardly in front of him. Pry was tempted to tease. Instead, he moved closer and said, have you anywhere to go? Yes. The man looked up. It's not far. The square contained tall, narrow, dark houses, ranged around a fenced-off lawn with spindly trees. On the right, a bomb had knocked out three houses and partially demolished a fourth, leaving a huge gap. They stopped in front of number 27. The windows were shuttered. Pryor's companion was having trouble with the lock. Part of the damage, he said, over his shoulder. He jabbed the door with his shoulder, then seized the knob and pulled it towards him. It works if you pull. I keep forgetting that. Not too often, I hope, said Pryor. His companion turned and smiled, and for a moment there was a renewed sexual tension between them. The family's in the country. I'm staying at my club. He hesitated. I suppose I'd better introduce myself. Charles Manning, Billy Pryor. Covertly, they examined each other. Manning had a very round head, emphasized by thick, sleek, dark hair which he wore brushed back with no parting. His eyes were alert. He resembled some kind of animal, Pryor thought, an otter, perhaps. Manning saw a thin, fair-haired man, twenty-three or four, with a blunt-nosed, high-cheekboned face, and a general air of picking his way delicately through life. 
Manning pushed open a door on the left, and a breath of dead air came into the hall. Why don't you go in? Would you like a drink? Yes, please. Alone, Pryor walked to the grand piano, lifted the edge off the dust sheet, and found himself looking at a photograph of a woman with two small boys. When Manning came back, they moved across to the fireside chairs, making the sort of conversation they might have made if they'd been introduced in the mess. Pryor watched Manning carefully, noting the MC ribbon, the wound stripe, the twitches, the signs of tension, the occasional stammer. He noticed that Manning's eyes, though they roamed all over the place, always returned to the stars on Pryor's sleeve. Well, you knew. I was an officer, he said, silently. He was beginning to suspect Manning might be one of those who cannot let go sexually with a social equal. Pryor stood up. You mind if I take this off, he said. I'm quite warm. He wasn't warm. However, he took off his tie, tunic, and shirt, and threw them over the back of a chair. Manning simply watched. Pryor ran his fingers through his cropped hair till it stood up in spikes, lit a cigarette, rolled it in a particular way along his bottom lip, and smiled. He transformed himself into the sort of working-class boy Manning would think it was all right to fuck. A sort of seminal spittoon. And it worked. Manning's eyes grew dark as his pupils flared. Bending over him, Pryor put his hand between his legs, thinking he'd probably never felt a spurt of purer class antagonism than he felt at that moment. He roughened his accent. All right? Yes. Let's go upstairs. Pryor followed him. On the first floor, a door stood open, leading into a large bedroom with a double bed. Manning pulled the door shut. Pryor smiled faintly. He would not take away to bed where he had deflowered his bride. Instead, he went up and up and up and bloody up. To what were obviously the servants' quarters. Manning pushed open a door at the end of the corridor, handed Pryor the lamp and said, I won't be a minute. Pryor went in. A double bed with a brass bedstead almost filled the tiny room. Manning came back into the room and set a small jar down on the table by the bed. Pryor finished undressing and lay down on the bed. Manning's leg was bad. Very bad. Pryor leant forward to examine the knee, and for a moment they might have been boys in the playground, examining each other's scabs. It looks as if you're out of it. Probably the tendons have shortened, you see. But then who knows? The way things are going, is anybody out of it? Pryor began to rub his face across the hair in Manning's groin. Manning's cock stirred, and Pryor took it into his mouth. But even then, for a long time... He simply played. Manning pushed him gently away and got into bed. Pryor rolled onto his elbow and started stroking Manning's chest, belly, and thighs. He was thinking how impossible it is to sum up sex in terms of who stuffs what into where. This movement of his hand had in it lust, resentment of Manning's use of the room, among other things, sympathy for the wound, envy because Manning was honorably out of it. The stroking hand stopped at Manning's waist, and he tried to turn him over, but Manning resisted. No, he said. Like this. Athletic sword. Pryor unscrewed the jar, greased his cock with a mixture of Vaseline and spit, and wiped the residue on Manning's arse. He guided Manning's legs up to his chest, being exceedingly careful not to jerk the knee. 
He was too eager, and the position was hopeless for control. He was fighting himself before he got an inch in. And then Manning yelped and tried to pull away. Pryor started to withdraw, then suddenly realized that Manning needed to be hurt. Keep still, he said, and went on fucking. It was a dangerous game. Pryor was capable of real sadism, and he knew it, and the knee was only an inch or so away from his hand. He came quickly, with shuddering groans. Carefully, he lowered Manning's legs and sucked him off. He was so primed he was clutching Pryor's head and gasping almost before he started. I needed that, he said, when it was over. I needed a good fucking. You all do, Pryor thought. Manning went into the bathroom. He came back carrying the whiskey bottle and glasses, limping badly. Where'd you get it? Pryor asked. Passchendaele? Oh, yes. You lot were in the assault on the ridge. That's right. Manning poured the whiskey and sat on the edge of the bed. Great fun. Pryor said, I've just had a board. What did they say? I haven't said anything yet. I'm supposed to be permanent home service. But with things the way they are... Manning hesitated, then asked, It is neurasthenia, isn't it? No, Pryor wanted to say. It's a raging homicidal mania, with a particular predilection for dismembering Toffino's gits with wonky knees. No, it's asthma, he said. I was neurasthenic, but then I had two asthmatic attacks in the hospital, so that confused things a bit. Which hospital were you in? Craig Lockett. Ah, then you know Rivers. Pryor stared. He was my doctor. Still is. He's... he's in London now. Yes, I know. Are you still on sick leave?